in your face. Night on the tiles I've already made my decision It's been a while And for tonight I've got a vision I'm gonna take my top off on the dance floor No, I'm not gonna drop off at the front door Confessions that I'll regret Flirtations that I'll forget Between my shadow and your synthetic silhouette You know this melody so mesmerizing And now my temperature's rapidly rising Do everything to excess I really couldn't care less Between my shadow and your synthetic silhouette Shy there with Silhouette, and we had the pleasure of chatting this week. Tom, welcome to the show. So great to actually be able to hear your track with you in the studio. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's fantastic to be here. And like I was just saying, it's actually the first time I've heard it through a sort of like reasonable sound system since I was in the studio. And, you know, they were not uh, the, the nicely tuned clipped vocals at that stage that we were hearing just then. So very cool to hear it. Yeah, now tell us about the production. I mean, you had two producers. You had Dion Shaw doing the beats, yeah, and Curtis Hatton doing the vocals. That's correct, yes. So Dion and I have worked together on a few things now, um, a few solo tracks of mine. 
Um, I'm I'm all right in terms of production, but I'm certainly not a wizard that can create something like what we ended up with. So I tend to sort of put together like the the skeleton and, and then obviously work on all the sort of top line in terms of melodies and lyrics. But I'll then give that to Dion and he'll sort of like put his beautiful sheen over it and we'll kind of go back and forth based on like different references and ideas and, you know, I might want to change the structure or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, we sort of collaborate to, to make the final product. Um, and then Curtis really was um, more in the studio when I was laying down my vocals. Um, and he's super kind of encouraging and fantastic to work with as well. I think, you know, for me, I, I've probably released, it must be, you know, half a dozen tracks now, but every time it's like you become that little bit more confident vocally. But having someone who's in the room with you to kind of really like push you is always super fun and you know, like you, well, I, I definitely don't consider myself the best vocalist in the world, but when you're in the right environment and you're feeling really into it, you know, you can produce stuff vocally that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So, yeah, it's really fun. The song's about confidence. Tell us about that. Definitely. Um, yeah, confidence is definitely the theme in in various environments. I think, you know, the sort of narrative of the song is that it's very much being on a, on a night out and kind of having that moment of lightning striking and really wanting to kind of go for it and, you know, just really enjoy yourself. Um, so that's that's kind of obviously partially the inspiration, but I think for me as well, in terms of, I guess, like the Just Shy project and how that has evolved o- over time, a really important part of the inspiration was me, has been me kind of performing live more and becoming really uh, excited and confident in that space. So I think it also really taps into that kind of journey that I've been going on as well. Yeah, tell us about your live shows because, I mean, I've seen them on social media, the vids, and you're having the ball. Yeah, I really am. I think, I mean, this time last year, pretty much to the day, I think I did my first proper live show with Boyd Kelly, who I worked on with on Mirrorball and Hula Hoop Girl. So we did, um, yeah, kind of like an hour-long set together that was like him DJing, me singing, you know, mixture of covers and originals and that was like sort of a big first jumping off point it was at the gasso um so that was really fun um and then since then i've probably done like half a dozen more gigs and like every time it's just you know always different stimuli like you're in a different environment there's different people there you know try and mix up the set list a little bit so every time i think you learn something new and you know get that little bit more confidence um but i really enjoy it i think it's actually given me a new appreciation on the whole sort of like end-to-end artistic journey, I guess. Because I think sometimes in the past I found that like releasing the song can actually feel like the most, like the least enjoyable part. Uh, Like, you know, you sort of like place all these expectations on yourself and and all of that sort of thing. But I think having the live show to look forward to is a great kind of like cathartic release and being able to tangibly see other people engaging with the music is so fun as well. I can just see you at a big queer dad's party emerging in something breathtaking <laughs> at about 3am. This is the plan. We've got to make more of that happen. But yes, I'm trying to kind of choicefully uh, expand my wardrobe of, you know, extravagant, uh, you know, somewhat figure-hugging, fun, gay outfits. The trackies aren't apologetically gay. Tell us about yeah. that. <laughs> It definitely is. And I think, I guess, in the same way that my confidence with performing has, has improved in, in time, probably say the same for my expression of, of, you know, myself as a gay man. I think, you know, 
I think I've been doing the Just Show project for like four-ish years now, four or five years. And initially, I think I was a little bit more sheepish about, you know, the use of pronouns in my work and that sort of thing. And, you know, over time, you just like stop caring. So I think being able to really lean into that has has brought another element of fun for sure. And to try and kind of encapsulate, obviously, there's a million and one songs out there about, you know, partying and going out, but trying to actually, uh, I guess, articulate what it's like in that like queer or gay nightlife is something that I don't think is done as frequently. So yeah, felt really fun to try and capture that energy. Do you still need commercial airplay, especially as a queer artist or, you know, are the platforms enough? Like how does that work? Obviously the airplay would be welcome. Yeah. I mean, it definitely would be. It's not something that I've unlocked yet, but one day who knows? I think the thing is, and this kind of comes back to the whole idea of expectation and like where you source you know, your your joy and meaning from in relation to the music. Like, I think over time I've come to place a bit less pressure on myself in terms of wanting to generate X number of streams or, you know, these commercial outcomes or whatever. Like, I think the reality is that, you know, making music as an independent artist is probably never going to be a money spinner, right? But it's not really the reason that we should be doing it. And that's something like a lesson that I've had to kind of teach and reteach myself. But I think, you know, it's more just about having fun and enjoying making the music and performing the music. And hopefully with that attitude, people can sort of like, you know, see that attitude and, and, you know, respond to it. So, yeah. But it's a pity, isn't it, that, you know, there's all these amazing independent queer artists and non-queer artists producing fabulous music, but yet, you know, aren't making money out of it. And they should be. It says something about the power of the mainstream labels. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it also says a lot probably from a commercial radio point of view about the way that those playlists are curated as well. Like even a lot of major label Australian artists wouldn't get a look in. I think it's it tends to just be so dominated by... Uh, probably like American music, but also now like whatever happens to be, you know, trending on TikTok at the time, which I guess arguably kind of represents more of an opportunity for independent artists to break through. But I don't know. There's kind of no rhyme or reason, right? And I feel like in some ways you're better to just like embrace that reality and like do whatever you want to do rather than trying to do something calculated with the intention of like doing something that feels like such an uphill battle. Your breakout single Mirrorball was a <laughs> banger. Like, and it was you know really popular in the clubs. You know, uh, you, said, you said when we first spoke that you know it got airplay. In, well, not airplay, but club play in Texas. Yeah, uh, hula hoop girl. It's funny as I was as I was walking here from the tram. You know, I couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> do you miss working with Boyd Kelly? Um, I I do. I mean, I. I definitely don't put our musical relationship in the past by any stretch of the imagination. I think there'll be more to come. Um, funnily enough, he's actually put out a single the day before Silhouette. Uh, so that's a fun little Spice Girls-esque chart battle that we're going to have between the two of us. Um, but, you know, I think he's doing some really, really cool stuff as well. And I think we've definitely spoken about revisiting like a live show together and hopefully doing more original work together as well. So I, I definitely have a huge soft spot for both Mirrorball and, Mirrorball and Hula Hoop Girl and I, I love performing them live. So fun. So, yeah, I think we'll definitely do more stuff together. Will they be on the EP that's coming out in the middle of this year? Uh, no. So this EP is going to be kind of purely solo work. Um, I think it's, you know, the first time that I've actually collated a group of my own songs together and kind of 
package them as one thing rather than just doing like standalone singles. So this is going to be a big just shy solo moment, hopefully. But I, you know, down the track, I imagine Boyd and I will probably have enough stuff to cobble together to do a little compilation of sorts, which would be fun. I'm sure I feel really confident that if and when we do that, it would be like bangers wall to wall. I can imagine a Boyd Kelly remix of Silhouette. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we haven't spoken about that actually, but it's probably something that we should explore for at least one of the tracks on my EP, I think. So what's the EP going to be like? I mean, give us some clues about some of those other songs. Mm. Um, It's twists and turns, I would say. So Silhouette is obviously the first kind of horse out of the proverbial gate, very kind of like gay, very upbeat, very clubby. Uh, one of the other tracks on the EP is almost the other side of that coin, sort of like a bit of a what goes up must come down sort of vibe, a bit more of like a mellow down tempo moment, which I haven't really done for quite a while. Um, but it's fun to sort of tap into that more, um, pensive side. Um, and then there's, there's another more pensive track on there as well. But the, the one that I'm actually most looking forward to releasing is a big kind of, huge gay love song, um, which is, it's probably a bit of like a Kylie Love at First Sight sort of territory. So it's not the big 80s power ballad I suggested the first time we spoke? (laughs) No, no power ballads in the repertoire yet. Um, Yeah, I think I I probably need some more vocal coaching before I could go for those, you know, Mariah-esque big notes. Um, But, I mean, it's the the track I'm, I'm talking about is definitely huge euphoric vibes um so that's going to be a fun one of course today's trans day of visibility uh what are your thoughts on just everything that's been happening over the last few weeks and can you do a shout out oh absolutely of course shout out to everyone in our trans community in melbourne um you know obviously just the the sort of strength and resilience that everyone in that community is continuing to exhibit is you know so admirable beyond words and It's, of course, been incredibly trying sort of seeing everything that's happened. But thinking about things that we've seen over the last week, even in terms of, you know, the amazing turnout um, against Posey Parker in New Zealand last weekend, I think, and in some ways even thinking about, um, you know, the election result in New South Wales last weekend, I think as much as there's a lot that we need to be really concerned about, there are some kind of silver linings or, or, you know, signals for hope out there as well. And, and probably the most important of those signals for hope is, you know, the, the strength and, and the joy that I see, you know, our trans community exhibiting. On that note, Just Shy, it's been awesome meeting you in the studio. Thanks for coming oh, into 3CR. Thank you for having me, James.
Faithful there, eye communication well tonight at the Arts Centre in Warburton and tomorrow night at the Moorlbark Community Centre, Misfit Theatre's production of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is playing and I had the pleasure earlier this week of speaking to actor Sean Paisley Collins about the production. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks, it's good to be back. <laughs> Sean, tell us about this production of Hitchhikers. It sounds amazing. So we did the first phase uh, last year, which was the first four uh, episodes, or fits, as Douglas Adams refers to them. But yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty iconic. As far as I know, uh, Douglas Adams' The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has never been done uh, in Australia, I don't think, um, certainly not to my knowledge. Um, but yeah... Where basically um, uh, Sarah um, is the kind of brainchild behind it all, who's a massive fan. She has this amazing um, kind of part theatre company, part incredible youth organisation, like um, helping young people through using theatre as a as a form of um, you know uh, help them express themselves and um, and find meaning and, and find themselves in the um, outer, outer east called the Misfit Project. Um, but, yeah, this was a particular project that she wanted to do last year, and I just jumped at the chance because I love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's probably my favourite thing, <laughs> um, which is kind of obscure and random. But, yeah, we did the first phase last year, and it went really, really well. Um, everyone really loved it. Um, one at the Warburton, um, like a theatre, main theatre there in Warburton, and then one at the Murrell Park. We're doing the same thing this, this week. Um, Friday night we're at um, Warburton and Saturday night we're at uh, the Moorbark Arts Centre doing the next four episodes. So we did one, two, three and four last year and this year we're doing five, six, seven and eight. What a find as an actor. I mean, Douglas <laughs> yeah. Adams' Hitchhikers is one of your favourite things. I mean, how rare is that in acting to, to find something like that? It's super, super rare. Um, I kind of grew up on it. Because uh, like a lot of people who, you know, grew up on sort of British comedy, I loved The Goons and Monty Python and all that kind of thing. And, and the very first thing of Hitchhikers I ever heard was the radio series. Not a lot of people know, but the radio series was the original. Um, probably most people know the, the novels uh, or even the, the film uh, that was about 10, 15 years ago with sort of Martin Freeman and Zoe Deschanel. Um but yeah, it was actually a radio series to begin with, and he adapted the radio series into the series of novels. Uh, but I just think it's 
it's unlike anything else. Um, and growing up listening to it, it sort of it blew my mind because I thought it was equal part funny and absurd and, and quite sort of dark in parts and incredibly profound and very philosophical uh, and very ahead of its time, very progressive in terms of all you know, all manner of things um, and just, yeah, amazing and, and unlike anything I'd ever, I'd ever heard at that point. I think it was probably 11 or 12 when I first heard it. And so, yeah, when I heard auditions were were happening for um, doing a live, you know, reading of the of the radio play, I jumped at the chance, and I actually get to play my favourite character, Ford Prefect, which is even better. <laughs> so, hearing the radio as a kid, I mean, was that fertile ground for your imagination? I mean, it must have just been so enriching and so stimulating. Yeah, it definitely was. I I, I grew up um, in the northeast um, country, Victoria, in Wangaratta, and and I did a bit of work on Oak FM there, which was the kind of community um, radio station there as a teenager. So I was always kind of quite aware of, of radio, and probably the very first comedy radio thing I ever heard was my parents had um, the Goon Show on vinyl, like on record. So that's really you know old school kind of fifties. Um, but yeah, there was something about Hitchhikers. There was something so unique about it and, and the characters I just thought were so rich and so interesting um, and so sort of progressive and and like like any good sort of science fiction there's something kind of really prophetic about it and in my small you know country town having this these other sort of intergalactic worlds with these amazing colourful characters um, with these incredible kind of accents and yeah, it really, um, really blew my mind. And, and yeah, I think it was very formative in terms of me, um, you know, wanting to be an actor and also and also writing. Like, I think it's probably one of the best things ever written just in terms of how much he sort of manages to pack into such a short amount of time and space. It's It's got a bit of... I, I personally think it's got something for every everyone, you know. There's sort of elements of it that are sort of romance and, and sci-fi, but there's action and it's comedy and it's absurd and silly, but it's also quite, you know, poignant and philosophical as well. So tell us about the character you play. So Ford Prefect is... Um, <laughs> there's, whenever I kind of, you know, explain it to people that don't know anything about it, it it's sort of good to describe it with sort of quotes and things, but... Um, the main character in the story is Arthur Dent, and Arthur Dent is this quintessential, you know, Englishman, this sort of fish out of water, um, you know, the kind of uh, the, the, the Bilbo Baggins idea where he doesn't, you know, never like leaving home or anything. And Ford Prefect is this kind of vagabond, you know, um, sassy kind of, you know, alien, like man of the world, you know, person of the world who comes and sort of takes him on this adventure through the, through the galaxy and, you know, meets all these different kind of aliens and, and people and creatures. And yeah, and I just love the idea of, of, of playing a character who's kind of, you know, this is kind of every day for him. Probably the most uh, well-known um, thing that you could relate it to is it's sort of a slightly Doctor Who-ish character for a prefect. Um, but he very much has that sense of, yeah, he's he's a, such an adventurer, and and he's you know seen seen a hundred worlds, and you know he's sort of done everything and seen everything, and it's uh, there's a kind of matter of factness about that that I find quite you know quite fun and empowering to play. Um, yeah, he's a really great character. And what's his voice like? Um, well, I do it. Because I grew up so much with the radio play in my head, it's sort of tricky for me to 
um, veer too far from that. It's a bit like when I listen to the Beatles and I'm singing along, I tend to sing along in their voices. So I do a sort of hybrid of the original um, actor who voiced um, Ford and then, you know, sort of my own interpretation. But, um, yeah, he's very sort of hushed, hushed sort of tones and, and it's, yeah, it's definitely an English accent, but I try to make it sort of more, um, you know, more worldly. Whereas, whereas Arthur is like this and very, you know, like sort of not necessarily posh, but, but kind of fish out of water and, you know, top, toff like, um, um, Ford is very like, um, well, you know, um, it's full prefect. And this is, if you take this sort of thought, for example, you know, he's, he's a bit more kind of fascinated and there's sort of a, there's a youthful sort of David Attenborough-ness quality <laughs> that he has for, for the universe. Yeah, I'm reminded of how the, the professor in the C.S. Lewis Narnical Chronicles would have sounded or might have sounded. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a bit like that. Um, and there's also something very, I don't know, um, I've always found something quite sexy about Ford and I don't quite know why, but just that idea of him being... Um, very, you know, worldly and, and, and he, he, everything sort of fairly kind of easy and everyday to him, but he's sort of never arrogant, if that makes sense. He seems to have this kind of perfect balance of, of worldliness, but also, um, you know, fascination and, and, and curiosity and playfulness. And I really love that combination. I try to, you know, instill that in myself as well. It sounds like the impact that Hitchhiker's had on you as a kid is very much a queer story of of being in a country town and um, having some escapism. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, and 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 there are there is you know because Douglas Adams was so progressive in that way. It was originally written in sort of you know the late seventies, early eighties, and um, yeah, there's so much exploration of, of, of sexuality, of gender. Of, of all these kinds of things, and it's and it's just treated as so you know as just normal. Like there's nothing kind of unusual or particularly um, <laughs> you know groundbreaking or anything about it. And and I, and I loved that. I loved sort of um, experiencing that in a sense that the kind of diversity, I suppose, of the worlds that he builds is is inherent. You know, it's, it's intrinsic um, to the kind of stories that he that he tells. And uh, yeah, I always found that quite kind of powerful and quite relatable. They Got Beaver Box, for example, is is this very flamboyant, um, you know, very camp, but very kind of sexy, almost like, you know, Mick Jaggery, like rock star, um, you know, kind of character. So, yeah, there's there's quite a few different characters that are very... Um, and he was, you know, in the story, he was like openly queer. Well, well Pan, really, not even queer um, because of course you know he has relations with all different species all throughout the galaxy so and Ford's kind of the same um, so yeah I love I loved all that idea of, of them just being kind of totally themselves you know I thought that, that was very beguiling it sounds like the whole cast must be having a ball with the rehearsals and and um loves performing this this imaginative you know ground of um of fertility and just imagination stimulation yeah it is it really is so much fun and we have such a great team and everyone's so lovely and so kind of game there's no you know ego everyone's so playful and it's amazing hearing especially as someone who grew up on it it's amazing hearing people quite different interpretations um in particular our actor who plays Zofod um, you know, in the radio play, the actor that voiced um, they thought originally was English, and so you know he had this very kind of 
cowboy kind of swagger, you know, and yeah, this, it, it, it's so fun and everyone is having such a ball and just to get to work on something so well written um, and so unique, um, yeah, we all really love the material and we all kind of bounce, bounce off each other really well and yeah, we're hoping to do it more and then hopefully even, you know, do a little tour or something of Melbourne and we can do all three phases. What's next for you after this production, Sean? Um, so, yeah, I've been doing, we're trying to do a little bit more um, screen stuff again. I just recently worked on a feature film, not um, as an actor, but as a, as a child chaperone. And I've been really enjoying that kind of work in terms of looking after and working with the, um, the child actors and just being on set and around the sort of, you know, film world again has been amazing. So, um, yeah, I'm very keen to sort of look more into that kind of thing. Uh, and I'm very interested in doing, you know, more theatre. Have a have a sort of loose early stages plan to potentially do a one-person show playing Charlie Chaplin. Oh, wow. And using, and using that as a vehicle to talk about um, uh, sexuality and, and uh, gender and, and um, you know, all, all sorts of things. Like uh, So that's, you know, sort of in the pipeline. Um, but the other thing I've just started doing this year um, on a sort of slightly unrelated to sort of performance is um, I've gone back to study and I'm doing um, studying mental health because that's something I've always sort of wanted to uh, wanted to study. And my kind of, I suppose, dream in terms of incorporating the practices of, you know, mental health and, and helping with, um, you know, people's sort of well-being and things like that, combining that with, with you know, theatre and, and, and performance and that kind of thing. So, yeah, hopefully in the next sort of couple of years I can you know, try and combine those loves as well as doing sort of theatre and film work. Sean Paisley Collins, so great you're thriving, so great you found Hitchhikers as a performer after loving it as a kid. Always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for chatting with us again on 3CR. You too. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care.
Dion Warwick there with the spinners. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, today is Transgender Day of Visibility. And here's a message from activist and advocate Ricky Spencer. Hi, everyone. This is Ricky Spencer. And I'm the co-chair of Inclusive Rainbow Voices, People Living with Disabilities, LGBTIQ. And I just wanted to give a big shout out to all our whole community, our transgender and gender diverse community there, allies, lovers, friends, firm families, biological families, and anyone listening that day, trans day, visibility is so important. As a trans person myself, at 54 with living disabilities, today is an important day. It's a day where we can all affirm through being with the community, our presence. It is valid, it is valued, and we do have a place at the table in every space and place in the community. I want everyone today to reflect perhaps a little bit about what has happened in the past few months and to know that things will get better because it's through coming together as a community today that we can enable change to take place. The first step is visibility and voices coming together, that we are not a threat to other people who have different lives or lived experiences that are different from ourselves. We are the same. We breathe, we love, we feel pain. But most importantly, we want to connect with everybody here. We want to be part of the community and make a change so that every person on this, in this, our community feels safe at all times. So to all young people listening, it's going to be okay. And just taking one day at a time, affirming ourselves. If you are unable to affirm yourself because of safety today, just know that listening to the radio, you have your friends there in spirit. And reach out to any services that you can when it is safe to get that support that you may need. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of today and remember Trans Day of Visibility. Yes, it's our day, but every day is visibility and let us all be together in one community. Thank you. This Friday is Trans Day of Visibility. After recent transphobic events in our city, we say enough is enough. Come to Transgender Day of Visibility Rally now Melbourne and reclaim our streets. State Library, 5.30pm this Friday for the March Through the City and Show of Strength and Resilience. Let's make this biggest rally for trans rights and the country has ever seen. State Library, 5.30pm this Friday for Trans Day of Visibility. For more information, contact the Victorian Pride Lobby via Facebook or email info at vicpridelobby.org.au See you there.
Madam Nightingale there dance with me. I am honoured to have Madam Nightingale in the studio. Welcome to 3CR. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a great track. It's uh, alternative synth pop with an 80s influence, I feel. Yes, that's right. So tell us about your journey that got you into the studio. Well, it's, it's, it's been an interesting ride. I was with um, sort of indie pop bands on and off for the last sort of 10 years, I guess, well, up until uh, 2019. I was in a, like a loose collective called The Winter Friends that operated around St Kilda. And then I decided to try something different and uh, met a few people that were interested in, in synth pop. And um, it's sort of something I've always liked from my youth. And, and I suppose it was starting to become a bit more popular um, underground again. So we decided to form a, a duo called Madame Nightingale and here I am. Fantastic. So you've gone from a band to a duo. What's that like? Uh, it's, it's got its pros and cons, you know. Uh, there's only two of you to coordinate, so that's easy. Um, but then you need to really connect well with the person or persons that you're writing with, you know. So I originally started off writing with a, an arranger called Dave O'Toole and then now writing and performing um, with another musician called Dean Lombard, who's an exceptional sort of multi-instrumentalist. You've got to get yourself on the same page. So, But it's a lot of fun because uh, the, the writing's a lot more intense and involved in a duo. So how do you get yourself on the same page? Uh, so you try, I guess you th- first of all you brainstorm sort of like what sonics you want. So I'm a top liner, which is, is, is writing lyrics and, and melody line for vocals primarily. I do also write chord charts and whatnot, but I, I prefer to work in a duo with, with somebody giving me their sort of sonic ideas, you know, like I think this is the progression I want to play or, or these are the, this is a sort of backing track, this is what a feel, the vibe, but, and then you, I go away and listen to that and there's a bit of to and fro about, oh no, I think I think we should have some bass here or I'd like to put a chorus in this part instead of the other part, so it's like Lego, I was to explain to people, it's a bit like passing Lego blocks across the table and then trying to build a little castle between the two of you. I get the impression you've done a lot of gigs in pubs, yeah? Uh, yes, I did with the, um, um, I suppose, indie folk rock band. Um, Madame Nine goes a little bit different because it's actually the performance is actually quite theatrical. So I'm in a, in, in a full uh, sort of, um, I don't know, like space sort of drag queen, really. Um, and so it's more of a theatrical act. So the music is very sort of like the DJ at the club music, but the performance isn't so most recently performing at things like Melbourne Fringe and sideshows of Midsummer and going up to Newcastle Fringe and so on. Wow, so it's like faux drag. A bit, yes. <laughs> so how did you get into that? Because that sounds like loads of fun. And um, what's it like? Well, look, it's, it's just, it's sort of been really eye-opening for me because I always was like horrendous stage fright when I used to sing with, you know, indie folk bands. And, and I guess putting makeup on sort of made me feel more like I was the performer, like I was meant to be there. It was like a my sort of shield. And then I got invited to, in uh, 2020, to do an online artist development program with Hillscene Live. They're a marvellous organisation based out of the Burringer Arts Centre up in the Dandenongs. And they went, well, you know, you can go full dramaturgy, you can go full costume and full vibe and full everything. And that never occurred to me in a, in a rock band that you could do that. And so so it evolved out of that artist development program as, as like a, a specific performance character. And it's really informed, you know, my singing, my performance, my writing, everything. It's great. It's like having this alter ego, like, uh, you know, Madame Nightingale has become my Ziggy Stardust, if you like. Oh, wow. So it's like the makeup becomes like a shield. Yes, yeah, but also like a completely different character. So so the, the Madame Nightingale character is like, I don't know, the, the eyes of Mother Earth looking down on all us, us humans and, and looking at our emotional state and then singing 
singing their songs about about that. So it really informs how I think about writing lyrically as well. It sounds really ethereal. That's right. <laughs> so it's almost like a fantasy novel. Yes, a bit. And um, I did do a series of like little fantasy shorts that don't exist anymore now as part of the artist development program. So it was like, you know, how does, how does Madame Nightingale exist? She exists because there's sadness and the sadness creates this sort of cosmic egg and she grows out of that. So she's like a, a half bird, half human sort of creature. Yeah. So that was that was sort of the idea of to have like a, a backstory, but it was never sort of announced in the songs. It, it, it's there for me as a performer and it informs how I, I present my art. It sounds like each Madame Gale Madame Nightingale performance for you is kind of full of surprises as you immerse yourself in that character. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I like I like to do something spontaneous and different. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping to do some more spontaneous and different things. But maybe contemporary uh, dancers might be joining. Uh, joining me when I perform in Sydney, hopefully um, alongside Vivid and May. So just to get a few extra extra random people to do some interpretive dance seems like a really good idea. So I might be might be throwing that into the mix as well. So you've gone from you know being in a band to doing something very synthy and very theatrical. And you've got yourself into a position where you're really wanting to try new things. Like it's not just, you know, Madame Nightingale and we're going to keep developing that. We are going to keep developing that, but we want to do other stuff as well that's really different. Yeah, that's right. Look, I, I don't know. I think just the spontaneity of it informs the performance but also informs your writing and it just – I changed my attitude, you know, post-lockdown. I, I sort of thought I'm just not going to waste any time. I'm going to try doing everything with everyone. I'm not going to say no to anything. So far, that's, you know, suited me well. Somebody said apply for fringes. I managed to get in all these fringe festivals, which has been great. And two weekends ago, um, I was up with Dean performing at um, Newcastle Fringe and I got nominated for my first ever award for artistic merit. And that was largely because I thought I'm really going to, you know, express, you know, try and really be far more physical in the performance. And so trying that different approach, obviously, you know, somebody suggested it to me, works, you know. So I really enjoy trying new things. It just seems to be making the art better and better it's it's almost like I need that you know, risk element to, to to perform yeah wow I could almost see you doing a cameo performance in a film uh, performing as Madame Nightingale I think you could do something like that um, the risk factor is really really interesting do you find that you weren't a person beforehand that was into taking risks but somehow through your art you found that you like to do that artistically well, the, the artistic character is the polar opposite opposite of me. I'm, I'm somebody that has a 20-year life plan. <laughs> I know what I'm doing next week, next year, next month, next everything and drive everybody in my family insane with my organising. So, so yeah, it, the, the art is about, you know, there's a whole element of improv. Obviously, the songs are written and the tracks are recorded and so on, but there's a certain element of, of you know, every show we perform, there's there's a different flavour to the performance and I think I really need that to to stimulate that that act. Wow, you've obviously found a person in there that's completely different to how you've been socialised, um, that's emerging. Isn't that interesting that, you know, we have these two worlds or more within ourselves as people and that art can bring that out? Yeah, I think so. You know, that's one of the great things about art is that it allows you to examine humanity. It allows you to examine yourself. You can do a lot of navel gazing. Yeah, I think um, in the last few years, a lot of people have been doing a lot of navel gazing because they, they had to, I guess. And that's not necessarily a bad thing now. It's like all this blossoming of 
you know, the, the, the art circuit scene and the music um, uh, sort of festival circuit has opened up again and people are really trying, you know, they, they, they know now's your chance to get out there and try stuff, you know. So um, I, I just think it's sensational. I, I've had a look around at what other acts are doing and what other artists are doing and I'm not the only one, you know. <laughs> it's, it's really great to see people blossoming and having different sort of creative personalities as distinct from their own personality. But that person, that everyday person that, that you know, has a 20-year plan, that must be very advantageous when you're managing yourself as an artist and performer and planning ahead with this new character, this new version of you. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's, it's good. <laughs> good being, it's always good being organised, isn't it? You've got to get to gigs and festivals and things on time. Um yeah, so so I think uh, I'm one of the people I like to plan working with others. So so um, one of the future shows we're hopefully doing in, in Sydney will be with an art rock progressive band called Anubis, based out of Sydney, but they do a lot did a lot of work um, pre Pando over in Europe. And so it's nice to make those connections and do those plans. Like those plans were originally made for the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, and they're not going to happen until May this year. Uh, so it's good to be organised. <laughs> so so Real Me is, is very useful as far as, as coordinating what we do. But, um, uh, yeah, I think in terms of the creation and performance, the more spontaneous, the better. You sound really, really busy. <laughs> Yes, probably am. <laughs> but that's great. I mean, that's great. I mean, yeah. I, where are you going to be in two years' time with this act, do you think? Well, look, I, I would absolutely love to have an album to tour, you know. So we're, we've got our first little single today. Yay, thank you for playing it. And, um, you know, there's, there's other songs in development. I, I sort of really would love to just start off doing, like, the, the Fringe and, and Arts Music uh, sort of festival circuit in Australasia and then see how we take it from there. I would just adore to, you know, have, like, a, a group of, of sort of gig mates I tour with. That's not uncommon. You know, you get two or three acts to sort of tour together, go to Japan together and do a series of shows. So that's... That's my, my sneaky personal plan. Whether it happens or not, we'll have to see, but um, that's sort of where I'm hoping to go. Oh, well, Japan would be awesome. Oh, wouldn't it? It just I think it would be sensational. I've got um, uh, a video friend um, filming portions for a music video for another single for me right now over there as we speak. Hi, Hayley. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so that uh, there's another song under development where it's about people being separated and, and so one person's being filmed in uh, Japan and the other person is going to be filmed um, in Gippsland, East Gippsland, in amongst the, the 90-mile beach and all the rest of it to, to show that the separation between city and country and, and near and far, yeah, so. And a Japanese audience great. Love that. I think so. Yes, I would love a door to go there. So, so Japan's feasible. It's not out of the realms of possibility. No. Wow. And what about the album? Um, you must be planning it. Oh, it's been it's planned. So I'm hoping. Um, uh, if we get uh, grant monies, hopefully by the end of the year. If we don't get grant monies, it'll be the middle of next year. Um, but yeah, it'll be self-titled Madam Nightingale album, and um, it'll have I know three things about it it's going to have 13 tracks on it that song is going to be on it um and hopefully um we'll be able to tour it around australia next year and it'll be great so dance with me has just dropped tell us about the video for it uh the video for for, for that comes out um on the 28th of of april um and so it, that's an interesting song because it was actually written sort of in the depths of lockdown when everybody was really really sad so and it was about you know examining your own mortality you know when you turn on the telly and you don't know what's going on and all that kind of stuff 
But in, in response to that, I wanted to sort of juxtapose that with like a really jolly, happy, you know, dancey uh, song. So you got this really happy song with really sad lyrics. And so the video, it, it doesn't really mirror the lyrics at all. Uh, you've got like uh, cameos by myself and, and Dean as, as Madame Nightingale and the music maker sort of just appearing occasionally playing an instrument or, or singing. But the main um, storyboard for the video is is about living life to the fullest and uh, especially uh, people who are, are more senior. And I don't want to say more than that because it'll give away the, the surprise, but um, just look at your granddad and grandma and imagine what they would be like if they went out for a night on the town. It has been an absolute joy meeting you in the studio. Phaedra from Madame Nightingale, thank you so much for popping into 3CR and can't wait to see that video of our 90 Mile Beach in Japan. Uh, Intermersing, how wondrous. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thanks for having me. And uh, here's the last from Susie Quattro.
Susie Quattro there, and we'll catch you next week on In Your Face. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.